Are you tired of ticket fees? Pay the price for your ticket that is advertised and not a penny more. Go to TixBlitz.com. That's T-I-X-B-L-I-T-Z.com. Fantastic prices on all sports and concert tickets. Guaranteed seats, no fees. TixBlitz.com. That's T-I-X-B-L-I-T-Z.com. to another episode of Halitech Hall. Well, how are you, Mr. Halitech? Good morning, sir. Good morning, Double A. Good morning, Halitech Hall fans. Boy, what a game on Sunday, Aaron. It was, uh, you know, leading up to the game when we found out that Hicks wasn't going to play. We knew that Tate Gabriel wasn't going to play. We knew that Bilal Nichols wasn't going to play. And then all of a sudden, we had Roquan Smith out of the lineup, and then five minutes into the game, Trubisky was out of uh, the game due to a, a shoulder injury. It didn't bode well for us Bear fans, but uh, the Minnesota offense had absolutely no answers for the Bears' defense. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a, a defensive performance uh, that has to go down as one of the best um, certainly that I've seen. Um, I don't. I I don't have any active memories of actually, you know, watching the '85 Bears. So I can't really say that you know, any of those defensive performances are ones that I've quote unquote actually seen. Um, so for me, you know, it's it's one of the best ones given all the the uh, criteria and uh, circumstances surrounding it. I mean. You know, you're missing, uh, of course, you know, and then the, the late scratch of Roquan Smith um, and Kwiatkowski comes in and plays his best game as a pro. Um, Nick Williams steps up, Roy Robertson-Harris, and, of course, Khalil Mack is Khalil Mack and uh, just absolutely dominates and causes uh, headaches and blows up plays um, and really just allows these other guys to do what they did. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised that the defense played that well, but given all the injuries, you know, it's, it's still amazing. Um, you know, I felt like they were going to shut down Dalvin cook and I'm never scared of Kirk cousins. Um, but the way that they, you know, impose their will and really, uh, you know, sort of absolutely destroyed the Vikings was, was pretty unbelievable. Absolutely. We've got a great show for everybody today. Uh, not only are we going to go into more detail about last Sunday's game, uh, and of course we can't forget to talk about this Sunday's game over in London, but we're also very proud to bring on a Windy City Gridirons writer, Jack Silverstein. Jack posted an article on their website back in August. I immediately uh, reached out to him and asked him to come on our show. Uh, and then as 
more and more light has been shed on his article as it got picked up by Jesse Jackson. It got picked up by CBS, and they spoke to it. Uh, they absolutely slaughtered it, the, the, the article, and, and, and what it stood for during the telecast of the game. Uh, he's going to come on, and he's going to speak to a couple of issues. He's been on several podcasts this week uh, in light of, of what has transpired since Sunday. And, uh, but we're going to be digging into a couple of things that he has not had a chance to address uh, during his podcast on, on other shows. Uh, he was on Greg Braggs. Greg's a great friend of our show. He's a great friend of both Aaron's and myself. Uh, his, his podcast, Shy Fans in the Stands, is a great podcast. I urge you to listen to that podcast and then listen to our podcast. When you listen to our podcast, these are kind of follow-up questions to the to what he's been speaking to uh, over the last couple of days on Bears Podcast. So uh, we have posted a link on our page, uh, Halitech Hall on Twitter, to, so you can go and read the article for yourself. It's important to read the entire article to get a gist for Jack's flavor and his spin on the history of, of the NFL and the history of a time when blacks had played in the NFL and suddenly they were not playing in the NFL. And, and the jersey that the Bears wore, uh, he brought light to saying that, um, hey, this, is, this harkens back to a time when, when black players weren't allowed to play in the league. So maybe why this uniform? I think the Bears did a great job addressing it with, uh, with George McCaskey uh, and their justice uh, committee, social justice committee, in a video that came out before the game. Uh, but you want to hear a little bit of, of Jack's own words. So read his article, listen to the podcasts uh, that he's been on, and then the follow-up questions that we have for him today are, are going to be, uh, I'm not going to say exciting, but they're going, going to be very revealing into uh, Jack. He's a great writer. Uh, I have become a fan of his uh, since I've had several conversations with him uh, on Twitter. So, uh, and then of course, we'll talk more and more about the uh, upcoming game and uh, the over and under on how many sacks Khalil Mack will have <laughs> against Oakland this year. So uh, Aaron, the, uh, the game on Sunday, didn't start out well for, for Bears fans because a couple of minutes into the game, Trubisky uh, rolled out of the pocket. He was uh, fumbled and fell awkwardly on his on his left side, separating his shoulder and doing a tiny little tear into his labrum. And um, he, he came back out, you know, in the second half and was wearing a sling and I have to admit, after watching what Chase Daniel did or more importantly didn't do in the preseason, I was pretty concerned uh, after Trubisky went out. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, calling Trubisky's play a rollout is being a little too kind. It was a bailout. Um, I was 
I was pissed when he ran when he bailed out of the pocket and fumbled that ball. And I was like, what? And then when he got hurt reaching for it, I mean, I was just like, oh, boy, here we go. You know, because this is how this game's going to start. We're going to, you know, basically give them a short field right now. Thank goodness we got bailed out by a penalty call there. But you're right. I mean, I don't think that anybody felt super confident about Chase. Um, And even he said he didn't realize Mitch was hurt. Uh, that badly so um, and then he also thought that they lost the ball Um, so he was kind of warming up not really thinking that he had to go right in and then they were like no 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 you got to go 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 and then he so he ran right in but as soon as he got in there I mean it just he was calm the offense you know uh, was was clicking um, and he looked confident Um, They're running the same no huddle that they had been running, um, you know, in the Washington game. And, you know, you're reminded again why Chase is here um, and what he can do. And he has severe limitations, obviously, physically. Uh, There's a reason he's only started, you know, four or five games in his his 10, 11 year career. So it's not like, you know, he's he's the athlete that, that Mitch Trubisky is, but you saw all of a sudden it felt like the whole team and on offense sort of came alive, you know, and and I talked about this on the other show that it was like, Oh, chase is back there. Maybe somebody besides Allen Robinson has a chance to catch a ball now. And you saw that, I mean, he goes through his progressions. He stays in the pocket. Sometimes he stays in the pocket too long, but um, he really, you know, uh, runs the offense and and makes, you know, I think for the most part, he can make these, uh, you know, more anticipatory, uh, better placed throws than, you know, than Mitch has been doing. I'm not saying Mitch can't, but he, Mitch has, you know, uh, other than the Washington game, which, I mean, to start out the Washington game, Mitch was not exactly accurate. Allen Robinson, you know, had to dive and so on and so forth. So, I mean, it, you know, at the end of the day, it was it was uh, uh, unbelievable circumstances that started the game, and then all of a sudden it was like, oh, look at this, you know, and your whole mood changed, and then, you know, and then the defense just did what they did. So, you know, I mean, we we have to feel very very uh, fortunate and happy that, that that's how it turned out. Absolutely, the defense started out just the almost exactly the same way as the defense started out in game one against Green Bay. They just dominated from start to finish. When we were talking about the keys to this game in last week's podcast, we obviously said that the focus was to stop Delvon Cook and make uh, Cousins beat us, and, and that's exactly what they did. Delvon Cook uh, had uh, six catches for 35 yards, but he only had 35 yards rushing on 14 carries. Uh, He did get the late uh, token touchdown. His longest run of the entire game was only nine yards. So they, you know, and when you take a look at the fact that you're missing Nichols, you're missing Hicks, and you're missing Roquan, you know, that's your you know, almost half of your front seven. And, you know, you got two pro bowlers out of the lineup, or at least two pro bowl caliber. And Nichols is absolutely been a stud since he uh, 
became a starter. And it was like, no problem. And we got to you before we get into any more details about the game, we got to hats off to Krakowski. He just had a monster game. His signature on that game was the blitz that he literally threw Delvon Cook back five yards, ran him into Cousins. Cousins had to shift in the pocket, and by that time it was too late and he got sacked. That was just an incredible play on Kwiatkowski's part. He forced a fumble. Uh, he just played. Yeah, he's been a stud on special teams, but he just played his best game in the NFL, and this is, what, third season, I believe? Yeah. And quite frankly, Chase Daniels, as much as I cringed when he had to come into the game, he actually, you know, he was impressive. He had a presence in the huddle. He had a presence at the line of scrimmage, barking out the calls. What did your, what were your thoughts about uh, Kwiatkowski's game? I mean, I, I have never disliked Kwiatkowski. I feel like he's been on, he's been, it, for a while, he was the best linebacker on some bad teams. I mean, you know, it, it so he's kind of, I mean, a lot of people have said this, that if, if, you know, he played 15 years ago, he would probably be one of the best linebackers in the league. He's, he's kind of a throwback type of player. Now linebackers are expected to cover uh, tight ends and and slot receivers routinely, and that's unfortunately just not Kwiatkowski's strength. He's always been solid in the run game. Um, he's you know he's always been I think adequate in pass rushing. I don't think he's been asked to do it very much. Um, but you know I mean when he was playing next to John Timu, he was great. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like when you know and and you know John Bostic and and some of these other you know, he was he, so for a time, you know, he was a great player. I think it's kind of unfortunate because he's been on the end of some bad plays. I mean, he's he's given up some huge passes, um, you know, in coverage and he's been exposed. And so he's he's kind of gotten unfairly a bad rap among Bears fans. And I, I took a lot of people to task because there were a lot of people who were basically I mean, when when the Roquan Smith news broke, there were a lot of people that were just ready to give up on this game um, because of all the other stuff that was going on. And, and it's a, I think it's a bad quality that the Bears fans on Twitter exhibit is this negativity that we, um, you know, and I'll say we because I'm part of it sometimes go into uh, a spiral um, about these things. And Kwiatkowski, you know, was, and so I saw lots of people tweeting, oh, great, Kwiatkowski's going to play. We're screwed, you know, uh Thielen's going to, you know, tear us up or, you know, whatever. Uh, Irv Smith, the tight end, you know, the rookie tight end's going to gonna kill us, um, you know, now. And it just wasn't fair. Like, I mean, you know, it's not fair to, to – you shouldn't even – my opinion is you shouldn't even say that stuff. What is the point of predicting, you know, failure? Um, you know, let's just be positive. Let's believe that it's going to work out. And at the end of the day, we still have a lot of great players on this team. As long as they have Khalil Mack on the field and he's healthy, this defense can do great things. I, I don't care who's playing. I don't care if it's Deion Bush or Jonathan Harris or Abdullah Anderson or, you know, uh, Kevin Pierre-Lewis or wh whoever. This team, when Khalil Mack is out there wreaking havoc and commanding 
triple and quadruple teams. This team is capable of a lot. And so Kwiatkowski is now the beneficiary of playing on this great team, you know, that has this standard, as Khalil Mack talked about after the game. This is the standard now, and, the, and everybody that steps on the field is stepping on the field knowing that I am I am stepping on the field as part of one of the best defenses, if not the best defense in the league. I am playing alongside Khalil Mack, one of the best defensive players, if not players in the league, and I better bring it. And so I think he's, you know, he's been, Kwiatkowski was, uh, lived up to that and, you know, and then took it to another level. And he had the opportunities because, you know, and when Khalil Mack is on the field, there's opportunities for everybody to make plays. And bring it, they did. My God, what a performance by that that defense. You know, take a look at it. You know, Thielen had six targets. He only caught two balls for six yards. You know, Stephon Diggs did end up with 109 yards. A lot of that was in the fourth quarter when uh, the Bears started to play a little bit soft. I thought they started maybe one series too soon, playing soft, and, and they let they let Minnesota march down the field and get that garbage touchdown towards the end of the game. But, uh, you know, I think Nagy said it best in the, in the locker room after the game was over. Who are you going to single out to give a game ball to? Because the entire defense stood out. Chase Daniel came in in, you know, the offense pretty much looked like the offense in the first part of the season, even when Trubisky was the quarterback. Just enough to win is what they did. But overall, I mean, Eddie Pinheiro nailed all of his field goals. O'Donnell still kicking the ball like crazy. Uh, you know, O'Donnell might be your special teams player of the, of the year so far with his punting and now with his kickoffs in the last two games. And the Bears, you know, their opponents are starting inside the 20. They're starting no, you know, at the 25 after kickoffs. It's just been, you know, aside from getting this passing game and the running game going, this team has been an absolute pleasure to watch. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, you take a look at, at some of the statistics, and it's it's not eye-opening by any stretch of the imagination. Chase Daniels. You know, it's his quarterback rating, I, I didn't write it down, but it's just over 100. You know, he had a better quarterback rating than Aaron Rodgers and, and uh, Jared Goff and even Tom Brady this week. But, uh, you know, it's not something to write home about because he was only, you know, 22 of 30 for 195 yards, but no picks. You know, they didn't lose any turnovers. So that was, you know, just... You know, the offense did just enough to win, and the defense sealed the deal. Uh, it's kind of got a similar story to it. You know, it, it's it's interesting that, you know, this team played as well as it did, and, and a lot of people are, you know, hearkening back to the 1985, uh, the, the, the Bears of 1985, and, and I believe there was a graphic that CBS put up that showed that, through four games, the Bears' defense of 2019 is actually performing better than the the Bears' defense of 1985. But we talked about this a couple of episodes ago. 
the Bears' defense wasn't that stellar in the first four games of the year. They they gave up 28 points to Tampa. They gave up uh, 10 points to Washington. They, they gave up, I forget how many points to Minnesota. Uh, it wasn't until after the first after the second quarter of the Washington game in week four, that all of a sudden that Bears defense turned it on. Uh, we talked a little bit about 1985, and you don't remember, but they they went into Dallas and absolutely destroyed Dallas. Then they came home and, and destroyed Atlanta. They outscored both those teams something like, and I don't have it in front of me, but it was something like 80 to nothing uh, in those two games. And that's at the Dallas game. That's when NFL Films decided to focus a lot of their their filming. They had they had sideline more than one film crew, you know, one cameraman at every single Bears game from from then out. And aside from the Miami game, uh, they were just absolutely special. So. Um, it was just a great performance by the Bears defense. Uh, we're going to talk, uh, after we hear from our guest, we're going to talk about uh, the Oakland game coming up. But, Aaron, do you have any final thoughts about last Sunday's game be- before we uh, we pause? No, not too many. I mean, I think it's been said, um, you know, I think that uh, the biggest takeaway that I had is just I feel good about the team. Um despite all that and it's almost weird to say it um that in a game where our starting quarterback went down you know that i don't feel um i don't feel like that worried about anything and you know maybe it's naive i don't know but this defense is just so ridiculously good um and i think that you know they certainly haven't regressed as as many uh people stupidly said they would with Fangio not being around anymore. And I made the statement on, on our other show, the tailgate show that I think this team is actually is more talented than last year's team uh, because of the emergence of guys like Nick Williams and Roy Robertson Harris who played well last year. But, you know, you got rid of a Jonathan Bullard who really wasn't doing anything. Um, and although Bryce, was excellent. Uh, Buster Screen has separated and played really well, and and I think that uh, Haha Clinton Dix has much, has more upside than Amos. So I look at this team and I say, you know, this defense is possibly more talented, and then they have another year under their belt. And I think Pagano is doing a great mixture between what Fangio did and then what he brings to the table, and. Uh, it's another year with um, Jay Rogers, the defensive line coach, getting to do his work, and he's done a great job. And then uh, the Monachino, the linebackers coach, um, has done a great job. Um, you know, I was worried about the backup linebacker position beyond Trevathan and Roquan, and now you, you know, we got a ton of guys. I mean, Kevin Pierre-Lewis came in, Josh Woods came in, Irving came in. Uh, you know, Jonathan Harris came in, Abdullah Anderson came in. Now he's back down to the practice squad, but he came up, you know, and gave contribution. I mean, that was like a true team win. And then you mentioned Pinheiro. 
uh, let's not w- throw under the under the rug or sweep under the rug the fact that uh, we now have a kicker that I don't even think about being worried about. Even with an injury, I mean, the guy comes out and I just feel like, well, he's going to make this kick, you know. Uh, Eddie, Eddie, yeah. I, and it's great. I mean, I, I said on the, the tailgate show, I haven't felt as good about a kicker since Robbie Gold. Um, and that's great to see. Um, I don't think that anybody, if if they if you told them that we were going to be three and one at this point, would be upset about it. Um, and then, you know, unfortunately, I think, you know, if you told people that we would have our kicker situation figured out, but now the quarterback position would be in as much flux as it is, would be it would be surprised. And I, you know, it's a weird place to be in. But this defense, I mean, you know. They're just they're they're that good, and I think we can we can ride them a long way. Um, so that's it. I I hope we don't have to rely on the Bears defense to close out every game. It right. would be it would be you know we've got to get this offense going. You know, we we had several pass plays of longer than 20 yards by this time last year and we haven't seen that this year so we've got to get we've got to stretch the field uh, chase daniel did a great job with a with a pump fake and hit uh, javon wims down the sideline in the second half we need to see more of that he did exploit the middle of the field which we have been so lacking in doing except for the times where uh, trubisky kind of got into a, a rhythm we still haven't seen uh, Tariq Cohen uh, just break out. We haven't seen Montgomery get the holes that he needs. He's getting a lot of his yards. He's getting probably, and I don't have this on record, but just from an eyeball test, it looks like David Montgomery, 80% of David Montgomery's yards have been after contact mm-hmm. so far early in the season. So the, the offensive line... Uh, needs help. You know, mm-hmm. I think that that you know, as Trey Burton has started to get a little bit better, they've started to get him more involved in the passing game, which opens up. You know, he's in that that short area in the middle of the field, which now opens up the middle of the field for the wide receivers. So, it's it's important. That's an important part of the the offense that was missing early on that I think we will hopefully start to see more this week uh, against against Oakland. So uh, we're going to talk about Oakland in, uh, in detail at the end of the show, but we're going to break for a minute for uh, a message from our sponsor, Tick Splits. And when we come back, Jack Silverstein from the Windy City Gridiron is going to join us, and we're going to talk to him about a couple of uh, interesting questions that, quite frankly, nobody else has talked about so far uh, since his article broke. So we'll be right back after this message from our sponsor, TickSplits.com. So you're looking for great ticket deals. Who is 
license? Well, TixBlitz.com has you covered. From the biggest sporting events to Broadway shows and concerts, TixBlitz.com has the best ticket selection at the very best prices out there and no service fees. So the price you see is the price you pay. Plus, TixBlitz.com donates up to 25% of their proceeds to charity. TixBlitz.com has the tickets you want when you want them. Go to TixBlitz.com today. That's TixBlitz.com. Every ticket, every venue, everywhere. All right, everybody, welcome. We are very excited to have a great guest on Halitech Hall right now. Uh, it is Jack Silverstein. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at Reed Jack, R-E-A-D-J-A-C-K. Uh, he does uh, great work for Windy City Gridiron. Um, and, you know, if you are a Chicago sports fan and you're not following Jack Silverstein, I'm not really sure what you're doing because uh, he is – the thread master. Um, he puts together unbelievable threads and I, I don't even know how you do it. I'm, I'm always amazed uh, because there'll be an update on a thread that I might've missed. And then I'll start scrolling back and I'll realize that this thread is like five years old <laughs> or something. And it's just unbelievable. They're, they're um, really uh, rich and full of all sorts of uh, different research about the bears the Bulls, um, just great stuff, um, you know, a great follow. And uh, the reason, of course, we're having him on is that uh, recently he uh, wrote an article uh, for Winnie City Gridiron, and he uh, basically took on and, and highlighted uh, the issue of the jerseys that the Bears uh, recently wore um, in the game against the Vikings. Of course, these are throwback jerseys. And, um, you know, it's a great article that, that sort of shed light on – you know, really the history of that at that time period. And of course, at Haltech Hall, we focus on the Bears, but we also focus on history. Um, so we thought, let's bring Jack on. Let's talk to him about this article. Um, he's gotten a lot of great uh, notoriety um, about it. Some great attention uh, has been brought to it. And then even the team, um, as a result of Jack's article, uh, decided uh, greatly to, to highlight the social uh, significance of the fact that, you know, black players were banned during the time that this jersey was worn. Uh, and so the Social Justice Committee of the Bears uh, had a, they put out a, a video and I think they did a nice job of, of sort of framing uh, the issue and handling it. And, and the players uh, seem to have embraced, um, you know, the opportunity. And it was just a, you know, it was it was a great story. Um, that Jack wrote, and it ended up being a, a very good story with how the Bears handled it. Um, and so, of course, Michael uh, and myself wanted to talk to you about that. So welcome, sir. Thank you. No, that's, I can't say anything more. Uh, this is awesome, and I uh, appreciate you guys having me on. And for your listeners, like you said, um, I, I've done a number of interviews. I'm very, very – I've been excited for all of them. I'm particularly excited for this one because I know that – um, Mike and I and 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 Aaron, you the three of us are going to get into some areas that haven't been covered. So what I'll just say to listeners is you should definitely read the story on Windy City Gridiron, and then you should check out um, different interviews. There are some longer ones and there are some shorter ones. The one that I did on ESPN with Sarah Spain, for example, that was like a really tight like ten minutes, and that one was great. The one on Hogan Johns, that was probably like fifteen or twenty. And then, you know, I've done ones with Kyle Means from Regal Radio and from the Dean Davis show. And like you said, Greg Braggs and Joe Mandel. Um, and those 
those went to like an hour, hour change. There was one that I did with Barber Chair Network before everything hit, like right after I released the story. That was like, that might have been like 80, 90 minutes. Um, the one with BBC was like 20. So depending on how much time you want to give this, there are different options out there. But what we're about to talk about hasn't been covered in any of these. Uh, so I'm excited. Let's do it. Absolutely. Hey, Jack, uh, when we when your story first broke, um, I actually reached out to you on Twitter. And first of all, I love your writing. It is absolutely amazing and very well done. Thank you, sir. So one question that, that I asked way back in August, uh, as I read your article, and I like to think that, um, hold, hold on one second. I like to think that I consider myself a Bears historian. I'm, I'm, I'm probably not close in terms of the depth that you can go to in your writings with Windy City Gridiron. And of course, all of your other sports acumen in Chicago. But uh, you know, I, I I've been a Bears fan literally since I was in diapers. I was attending games in Wrigley Field. Um, I might be old enough to be your dad. But uh, the one question I had for you back in August is, I was reading your article. It seemed to me that your article was based. Not solely, but there was a lot of supposition in your article um, with respect to what George Hallis knew, didn't know, or what transpired back in the 30s. So I'd like to give you a few minutes to answer that. Yeah, well, that was a that was one of the early complaints. Um, not just from you, but from other people commenting on WCG or on Twitter. I would say for the most part, people really dug the story. But if there was a complaint that was that I thought was legitimate, not just people like barking at me, it was that. And I understand that because you're, I'm taking on a subject that is not recorded. Uh, I, I spoke with Chris Willis, um, who's a NFL historian, he's got a number of books. He's got a new book coming out on Red Grange. Um, I think maybe just dropped or it's about to drop, but everybody should check that out. And one of his books is on Joe Carr, the president of the NFL in the 1930s. He was the president when the ban was enacted. And I hit him and I was just like, Have, you know, am I off base here? Like, did you see anything? Um, and he was like, I went through minutes of meetings. I, I never saw anything on paper. So you're talking about something that seems to have clearly happened. There were black players in the NFL, and then there weren't, and then there were. And there were black stars in college throughout the ban, and there were black stars playing in a number of different leagues, as I outlined, and in different um, barnstorming teams and all-star teams. So there's, 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 there, there are players, they're excelling in college, all of a sudden they're not in the NFL. Where did they go? What are they doing? And you have to kind of fill in the pieces. Um, Jeff Davis, who wrote the biography Papa Bear about George Hallis, he says that he he says that somehow in his reporting that this did happen, that George Preston Marshall pushed everybody um, in this meeting to do it. So we all seem to agree that there was a ban. We all seem to agree that George Preston Marshall was the leader and was involved. My job was to look at this and say, okay, 
does it make sense, the story that we've received? The story from the NFL, the story that just history has told. Does it make sense? And I decided it didn't make sense. I decided that we all say George Hallis, most powerful owner at the time. George McCaskey gave a quote, I think it was to John Eisenberg for his book, The League. He said that Pete Rozelle was the first commissioner who my f- grandfather didn't, I don't remember the phrasing he used, if it was boss around or order around or something like that. So Pete Rozelle started uh, as commissioner in 1960. So we say that George House was the most powerful voice. He's chairman of the rules committee. He, we know that he pushes the boundaries uh, in terms of player personnel adding Patty Driscoll to the 1920 championship game when that was something that wasn't supposed to happen, going kind of under the table to sign Red Grange when he was still an undergraduate. That wasn't supposed to happen. So we know he looks for any edge. We know he's very powerful. And we know that all these other rules that they were implementing in 1933, everybody signed off on them. So splitting the league into two divisions, everybody signs off. Adding hash marks so that you're not jammed up against the sideline, everybody signs off. Moving the goalposts up so that the kicking game is easier. Everybody signs off. So what are the odds that all these things are true, except that the one thing that is uncomfortable for all of us and unpleasant that George Hallis participated in this is not true? I find that difficult to believe. I find the answers that he gave over the years, right? All right, so now I've got like my thesis, and now I have to test the thesis. So now I'm going, all right, well, did George Hallis over the years ever say anything about this? Did he ever address it? Did he ever have an explanation? Quite frankly, did any of the other owners ever have an explanation? No, as far as what I can find. I I looked harder at Hallis than I did at anybody else, but Art Rooney had answers that didn't make any sense. Tim Mara had answers that didn't make any sense. This whole, like, no, this didn't happen. There wasn't a ban. What do you mean? The black players just decided not to play football for 12 years. Uh, I mean, not to play football in the NFL for 12 years since they were all playing in like the West Coast League and and on the Brown Bombers with Fritz Pollard, etc. George Hallis' two answers didn't make any sense. That there were no great college players then, that's baloney. We know for a fact that that is not true. Kenny Washington, I don't want to rehash the entire article, but Kenny Washington, 1939, led the NCAA in total yards was awarded the Fairbanks Trophy. It was a it was a, a precursor to the Heisman. Everybody who won that trophy, who was awarded that trophy from the time when the NFL instituted its draft in 1936 until the award was discontinued, everybody was drafted except for Kenny Washington. Four of them were drafted number one overall, most of them in the first round. And Kenny Washington isn't drafted? So I have to look at this and say that these these stories don't make any sense to me. And the only thing fighting back against them making sense is my desire for them to not be true, because I don't want this to be true about George Hallis. And if I were a Giants fan, I wouldn't want this to be true about Tim Mara. If I were a Steelers fan, I wouldn't want it to be true about Art Rooney. If I were a Packer fan, I wouldn't want it to be true about Curly Lambeau. And that's why I listed all of these names, those four plus Burt Bell, Joe Carr, and uh, Charles Bidwell, because I wanted to make it clear that we're not talking just about George Hallis. Just as I said that this couldn't be the will of one man, and in this case, one man being George Preston Marshall, I didn't want to also say, well, yeah, and it was only George Hallis. Okay, so your other beef about this is the supposition of uh, that says that George Hallis was more involved than others. Well, again, 
He is chairman of the rules committee. He is the only uh, owner who's been in the league the entire time. He is the defending champion owner. He has been pushing and pushing on rules for the Bears' favor for 13, 14 years. So the idea that he would have sway on everything except for the ban on black players, it strikes me as absurd. Does that not strike you as absurd? I can't deny it. It's 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 a great article that is you you just want to you want to be able to not only read your article, Jack, but now start finding these other books and start reading more and more into this entire history about this era. That quite frankly, I don't have the acumen to comment on as as well as you do. So it's a but it's absolutely but, a great story. No, I hear you, but but just looking at just looking at what we know, we know that George House was basically the Jerry Jones of his time in terms of influence over the league, but you combine that with him almost being the Bob Kraft of his time in terms of success. So by 19 by February of 33, he was defending champ. Uh, there were still two black players, so they probably implemented it and then they um, and they didn't cut him right away. It started in 34. Now he's the two-time defending champ. In 34, they go undefeated. They lose the sneakers game, and so he's got a title. A he's got a title loss, or he wanted it to be a title in 1920. Didn't happen. He's got a title in 1921. He's got titles in 32, 33. Um, he's got you know he he got the biggest name in sports. I mean, Red Grange was on a level with Babe Ruth at the time because that's where college football was. He's got the biggest name in sports on his on his franchise. Um, so he's bossing everybody, you know, he's taking the lead, he's keeping the league together as best he can through all these economic pressures. And I just find the idea that he wasn't also involved in this it it strikes me it strikes me as impossible. Yeah. Uh, I was just going to comment real quick that, I mean, you know, reading the article and listening to you, um, I, I also, I tend to agree with you. I mean, it, it's, 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 I, I commend you, number one, for taking the tack of not leading, because you could very easily have chosen the lead of this story to be George Hallis, dark history, you know, Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. And, yeah. and I think that would have done you a disservice um, in the sense that people deify, uh, you know, have deified George Hallis. Um, you obviously have a great deal of respect and reverence for the man. Um, of course. Obviously, Michael Halitek does. Um, myself, everybody in Chicago, and fans of the league, etc. 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 So, so certainly, um, you know, we don't want to hear this about, you know, a hero, a man whose statue was just put in front of the stadium, and his statue is in front of Hallis Hall, you know, his namesake. I think it very smart of you to not make that your your headline, uh, even though, I mean, in a sense, that's the real story. Um, is that you know the 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 men in power at that time did this it hasn't been talked about it it's been swept under the rug the league i mean and now the bears have come out and said something but i mean let's not pat them on the back too hard because they they wouldn't have done it if they hadn't have kind of accidentally chosen this jersey 
that, you know, represents a time that you've now exposed, um, you know, so. I mean, I think ultimately it's it's good, but it's sort of the tip of the iceberg in, in a lot of senses, um, because, you know, this is this is you know, this is a dark time. This is something I was not I was never aware of the the ban at all. You know, uh, it never really occurred to me that there was a time period where there were no black players, uh, although obviously the climate of that country would of the country at that time would lead you to believe that something like that might happen. Oh, the world. Think about what is the most famous sporting moment and maybe the most famous just moment period of 1936. Can't answer the question. Jesse Owens. Know. Jesse well, Owens, right. Berlin Olympics. Well, right, right. So if you want to talk, if you want to put this in further context, right. wow. the biggest moment of 1936 in terms of sports, and certainly one of the biggest moments because of what the Olympics means, and then obviously nobody knew Hitler was going to become who he became, but he was already... Uh, he was already running Germany's chancellor at that point. For, you know, he'd been uh, elected or whatever uh, in 33. So that's the biggest moment in in sports is Jesse Owens at the Olympics. Yeah, wow. You know what I'm saying? So um, what I do give the Bears a lot of credit for, and I will be the first to pat George McCaskey on the back, regardless of how he got there, is that he sat down in front of a camera and confirmed the basic facts of what I'm saying. So in terms of like the supposition, I felt, all right, look, my reputation as a writer, as a historian is, is very, very much tied to getting things right. Um, you know, I'm not flashy. Uh, I, you know, I don't, I do, I do some TV, but like on sports feed, which is, it's contained and I'm a guest. You know, I don't have like a show. Um, I'm not selling T-shirts. Maybe I should be. But like my whole thing depends on me being right. So if I tweet something, if I tweet, oh, this is the first time the Bears have done X since whatever year, I'm prepared for NBC Chicago to pick that up and source it in an article and say, oh, according to Jack Silverstein, this is the first time whatever. I'm prepared for that, which means that I have to get it right. Not that other people don't, but I have to. It's, it's, the, it's the heart of what I do. And I was very aware that I'm writing something now that is going to be very controversial, very uncomfortable, and I don't have any definitive proof other than Jeff Davis writing it in his book that it happened. Um, and what if he got it wrong? You know, you sort of have, have to consider that. No knock on him, but like people get things wrong. So I was aware of that. And what George McCaskey did is he confirmed the basic facts. I mean, he went and told his team, my grandfather wasn't a racist or a bigot. Um, I mean, that gets into these definitions of like what you are versus what you do. And I was very careful to never say in the story, I never called George Hallis a racist or a bigot. I never used names on him. I focus, and I never used, and I never tried to speculate about what was in his heart or in his head. I strictly looked at these are the facts. This is what happened, and does the story that we've been given by the NFL over the years make sense? And if it doesn't make sense, what is the other explanation? And that's what I presented. Well, I mean, and George Hallis first and foremost was a businessman. So Correct. At that time, 
he and the other owners straight up felt black players were bad for business. I mean, it's, you know, regardless of what their personal opinions and racism and bigotry that may have existed. I mean, that's just that was the climate of the country. And then you bring up the Jesse Owens thing. So but that's also the that essence was, of racism. The exactly. Racism it, I mean, it, it is, is it using is, your yeah. power. Yeah in a systemic right. fashion to right. deny somebody an opportunity. Right. Yeah. I'm by no means saying that that's not racist. I'm just saying that if you look at it from, if you can parse the things and I don't know if you should or can necessarily, but, but you know, I'm not giving George Hallis a pass, but at the right. same time, I think, or at least I'd like to believe, I mean, that, you know, that, that, that it's a, it's a business decision. Um, and it's it's unfortunately it's gross. I mean it's 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 scandalous. It's you know it's it's not admirable. Um, but you know and not but but it was it was the times that were fully engulfed yeah. in that. Um, and he was just a part of it. Um, but again, it's not. I don't know I, that it's it's not talked about enough. I mean, it, and and hopefully it gets talked about more. And so here are the bears. The bears are kind of on this island. I mean, and you were going to bring up, Michael, uh, the, you know, the Packers wore uniform the previous week that are from the same time period, right? Yeah, 37. Well, I just want to say one thing. Right, go ahead. I, I, I think what's also important to note is that, you know, they say history is written by the winners. History is only as good as the way it's told. It's only as good as the stories that are passed down generation to generation, whether that's oral, written, audio, visual, doesn't matter. That's, that's the only way that history works is if people tell the truth about what they know and and then and then use their you know intuition to suss out secrets of the past there would be no way to write this without putting myself out there a little bit and taking a risk and saying all right I know that I'm not reading minutes a transcript from a meeting in February of 1933 I'm not looking at like a letter between Joe Lillard and Charles Bidwell saying, why are you releasing me? And saying, because you're black and we're not doing this anymore. Like, I know I don't have that, but you kind of have to go out there a little bit. Um, and every nugget that I found, you know, Ozzie Simmons says in 1989, he says that George Hallis told him, I'd like to sign you, but I can't. We have a ban on black players. Now, that personally strikes me as a crazy quote. Why would George Hallis say that? I don't know. Um, but Ozzie Simmons says he says it. And... It matches at least in action what he did with what George Ellis did with Kenny Washington. So you just start putting pieces together, and and uh, that's where we are. Absolutely, you, you you two touched on a point about business decisions, and I think over the weekend uh, you actually had a uh, uh, a Twitter exchange with one of your colleagues where he was basically talking about the business decision back in the area uh, versus your article. And, and right. I, we don't have time, obviously, to go into that today, but I urge people to look that up. And uh, there's, a, there's a lot of interesting stuff. Do you have a little more time, Jack? Yeah, we'll, I can do we can definitely keep going if you've got a little I can more do a little time. bit more. I wanted to, right. Mike, you had the question about the Packers. I'm interested in addressing that. Yeah, so before, before we get into that, the question was, and we, when I talked to you and addressed it on, on Twitter, was the Green Bay Packers have throwback jerseys to that exact same time period. 
Major League Baseball, who started this whole throwback jersey craze several years ago, uh, almost every team that was a team prior to Jackie Robinson and Larry Doby in the American League. I always want to give credit to Larry, too. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, um, they, they pay homage to those teams back in the day. And most recently, the Cincinnati Reds this year was celebrating their 150th year. And they, they rolled out 15 different throwback jerseys, seven of which date back to, to the pre-integration uh, era, in, era in, in baseball. So my, my question is, why the Bears and not those other teams? Well, that's a great question. There are a couple of reasons. The first main reason is that I'm a Bears fan and I'm a Chicagoan. And I think that, number one, if you're going to talk about this, you have to talk about yourself first. And the Bears, you know, George Hallis is an extension of me by virtue of me being a Bears fan. If I'm not willing to look at George Hallis, if I'm not look at, willing to look at my family or look at my heroes, look at my team, then what credibility do I have to call out other teams for the exact same thing if I'm not willing to put my team on the line? So that's, that's number one. Um, number two is that by keeping this uh, article tight and, and looking at just Hallis, I've opened the door for other people to look at their own teams. So I made it clear that these other clubs are all involved, Green Bay and the Giants being primary, the primary ones um, but, you know, the Steelers, the Eagles, the Cardinals, the Spartans who became the Lions, etc. And these fans of these teams are now, they've seen the story. I was getting responses from Packers fans, from Vikings fans, from Lions fans saying, wow, this is great. Thank you. Uh, as a Lions fan, I appreciate this. As a Packers fan, etc. So that what I did opened the door for other fans and other writers who want to have another focus to, to have that focus and to look. And as I noted on Twitter, yeah, the throwbacks that the, Lion, that the uh, Packers wore um, this season are from 1937, the fourth year of the ban. And I looked back at the jerseys from uh, the 75th season in 1994 when the NFL really made its first big throwback push. And there were three teams that wore during the ban, wore jerseys from the ban, and there were three teams that wore jerseys from all-white rosters that they had. Now, the Bears in 1994 wore jerseys from 1925. And obviously, those jerseys came from a time when the Bears were all white, because the Bears were all white until 1952. Pre-ban, ban, post-ban. I cut like 1,500, 2,000 words or something out of this story over the successive drafts. Um, and I don't remember if this was in a draft or if it was in an outline. But I noted that, of course, you know, so one thing that I did, you know, I, I noted that, like, our 1925 throwbacks, those were from an all-white era. Our Monsters of the Midway throwbacks, the blue ones with the orange block letters and numbers, um, I always think of them as uh, the ones that Devin wore when he finally got back in the end zone in 2010 after those two years off against Green Bay. Uh, on that punt return. So those are honoring the 1940s Bears, 
And we didn't have any black players in the 1940s. And most of that run, 40 to 45, including three of our championships, all white. The orange jerseys that they wear are, they're not really a throwback. The first ones that we wore on Thanksgiving in 04, those were, but they were like so boxy and they didn't, you know, we also like crapped the bed against Dallas. And so I don't think anybody really liked those. But what those they were did, hideous. Those, those were hideous, hideous. Right. So what they did was they just, starting the next year, the game where uh, Nate Bash had the field goal return, they started just having orange versions of our regular jerseys. And those are basically an homage to a variety of orange jerseys that we wore in our first four decades. Now, the only throwback that I could see for sure that um, a black player wore was in 1952 when we added Eddie Macon. And there was... I. I think I found that there was a point there where we were still wearing those Monsters of the Midway jerseys. But my point was not to say that this is the first time that throwbacks from an era where there were no black players are being worn. My point was, is that unlike all of these other throwbacks that are tied to an era, even the 1925 jerseys, when Bears fans saw them, they... We thought of them because we weren't as tuned into throwbacks. Like you said, Mike, throwbacks had just started uh, in MLB in 1990 with the White Sox. So this is only four years after that. People were not quite as into the concept. And while the 1925 jerseys have these stripes that go diagonally from the shoulder down to the sternum, they look pretty similar to the ones throughout the early 1920s. And those stripes, by the way, those were just uh, adhesives that Hallis put on the jerseys for the ball carriers and the ends. Anybody who was going to have to catch the ball because the ball at the time was super fat and it was difficult to, to hold on to. So that, those iconic stripes that we think of of the 1920s Bears throwbacks, those are, those are actually just adhesives and they're designed to help you catch. But anyways, um, they had those strips. And then in 1925, they added like the corner, like the angled ones that Red Grange wore. But we didn't look at it in that level of detail. There was almost no internet. There was no conversation about throwback. As far as the conversation was concerned, these were the, quote, 1920s jerseys. Even though the reporting of the time focused, it did say in the newspaper that I saw 1925. But I don't remember anyone talking about it with that level of specificity. I just remember people being like, oh yeah, 1920s, cool, and these things are hideous, and we just got killed on Halloween by Green Bay, and this is awful. So... That was... Go yeah, ahead. That was terrible. Um, so, my point is, is that because the jerseys were from 1936, and because the team made this big deal out of it being a one-year, as, as George said, a, a one-year wonder... It led me to look specifically at 1936, and, um, and that is why I looked at it in this way. I think that if you're telling fans, these jerseys are from 1936, Bronco Nagurski led us to a 9-3 and record, it's part of our history, I think you're sort of encouraging fans to say, like, cool, I want to know more about 1936. And that's literally where it started for me. So I started to learn more about 1936, and this is what I found. And then I had a choice, all right, do I write this or do I not write this? And I decided I should write it. 
So that's what I did. But no, of course not. Like there have always been throwbacks from pre-integration. There have always been throwbacks used um, at some point that reflect something negative, whether it's blacks not being able to play or I don't know what other examples would be, but I'm sure there are some. Paul Lucas would be able to tell us. Um, but I think the point is, is that I didn't say we shouldn't wear the jerseys. I didn't say boycott. I just said, this is the history. This is what happened. And if we're talking about 1936, let's talk about 1936. Like, let's talk about it. And then we can all make our decisions and decide how we feel. Some people want to boycott. That's fine. Some people want to tell me that I'm full of it. That's fine. Some people want to say, I wasn't going to buy these jerseys, but now that I saw the Bears release this video, now I'm going to buy them. Some people, you know what I'm saying? However people want to react is cool. My job was to tell the history, lay it out, and then we can have a conversation where all of our facts, we're all starting from the same place. And listen, I tweeted, I hope the Packers do something like this. I hope the Giants acknowledge this. The Giants were a team starting in 1925. They didn't integrate. Packers were a team starting in 1919. They didn't integrate. Both of those teams integrated after the ban was over. And quite frankly, the Rams integrated because they wanted rights to a stadium when they moved to Los Angeles. So nobody's saying that, you know, this team gets a pass or this team gets a pat on the back. It's just like, this is history. It happened. And now because of George McCaskey and because he sat in front of a camera and confirmed it, it's now part of the common history. And there's no one who can come on to Twitter and tell me, who are you to say this? Because you know what? George McCaskey said it. Well, and I, just real quick, I, I commend you, number one, because in this time of you know outrage culture, it's, it's a tricky subject. It's a tricky uh, thing to take on. Um, and then, you know, to do it in the way that you did, I think, like I said, it, 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 it had this sort of, I don't know, like, it not sure it wasn't sugar coated, but, but it just had this like kind of digestibility to it that made it so that it, it, it didn't do that. It wasn't too incendiary. And that's not to say that it was all softballs cause it's not. Um, and I would also, you know, like I said, I don't think a bear should be pat on the back too hard. But I will say that this Bears era, this regime, has been very, very forward-thinking and and I agree. far more with it <laughs> than any other completely. previous regime. So yep. kudos to George for being front and center, whereas in the past, they would have thrown Jerry Angelo or Ted Phillips out there or somebody who really shouldn't be the person taking the the heat and and made them make some clunky statement um you know and and also with to, to involve the players um you know and so you know again they, they have the social justice committee that they, they they've given money they're donating proceeds of the jerseys thing that's all fine and great what we hope and i think everybody wants is that it leads to more um exploration and you know not indictments necessarily but i think everybody should know the history of this game, you know, and football's held on this uh, almost ridiculous pedestal um, in this country uh, where it's unimpeachable, you know, as as this, you know, as as the God game almost, um, you know. And so maybe, you know, maybe we should take a pause and look at it a little harder. And so thank you for for giving us that opportunity. Yeah, definitely. And and 
you know, there's there are just so many ties that you can find between then and now. But I think the most obvious one is that four teams right now are owned by, or in the case of the Giants, co-owned by the same family that owned them during the ban. So us, uh, the Giants, the Steelers, and the Cardinals. You know, the McCaskey-Hallis family, the Maras, the Roonies, the Bidwells. And obviously Lambo, it's that's like a different story, but that's almost a fifth in a way. I mean, he doesn't own the team, but like Lambo, I mean, there's no tie that's stronger to a city than Lambo and Green Bay. So yeah, I would love for these other teams to to look at it and listen. This is going to come back up because we wear the jerseys again December fifth, um, and that's a Thursday night game. So that's going to be a full national spectacle. And gosh, I just hope that if NFL Network and Fox, whoever if they decide to address it and bring it up, I hope they actually tell the story correctly. I'd rather they not tell it at all than what CBS did. So hopefully Absolutely. That, hopefully that's hey, the case. Hey, hey, Jack, a couple couple quick things. If I would love to see NFL Network interview you prior to the game. What would you what would you think about that? Number one. Number two, you've touched base uh, about the Lambos in Green Bay. And, you know, you know, Green Bay is is an interesting area of the country. Uh, and I, we can go all the way back to the 60s when, you know, Vince Lombardi was in his heyday. Uh, Willie Wood uh, couldn't buy a house in Green Bay. Right. You know, so there was there was still a stigma after the, the Bears after the league integrated that, you know, we still had civil rights. We had the, you know, we had Martin Luther King in the sixties, you know, that, that really created the, an atmosphere that was uh, riotous at times mm-hmm. in, in a lot of, in a lot of, especially the big cities. So sports in a way helped, uh, Blacks integrate into society even better, even though there was the ban. Uh, I would have much rather seen the, the NFL not do the ban. Uh, they could then they could maybe talk about what they did for the, the promotion of of great athletes in the sport, regardless of color. Whereas Major League Baseball took 80 years before they would allow a black person to play their game. So. Great, all great points, Jack. It's been an absolute pleasure to visit with you today. Uh, we'd love to have you back on the show, maybe a time where you can spend a little bit more time. Maybe we'll do it uh, right before the game uh, in December. Uh, that's a Thursday night game, I believe, against the Dallas Cowboys. That's correct. So, so, so there's so going to be, be a lot of, lot of there's going to be a lot of national interest for that game, especially if both teams are still very alive in, in the playoff race this year. So uh, it would be a great time to revisit this. So yeah. again, and to, Jack, and to answer your question, I would absolutely do an interview uh, <laughs> with NFL network. Uh, bring it on. You guys should start the movement. I, I will do that. I'll start, right, yeah, I'll sure. start tweeting that out today. Hey, you know, I, I grew up in the Chicago area. Like I said, I've been going to Bears games literally since I was in diapers. Yeah. Uh, the very first game I remember being physically at in Chicago was a 1965 game uh, against the Rams where 
of course, that was Butkus's and Sayers' first year. year in the league. But yeah. the, the one the one play I remember from that game as a as a child of of eight years old was a, a Benny McRae interception on Roman Gabriel that was he intercepted it in the end zone in the north and almost ran it back for a touchdown. He got tackled about midfield. So I've been, I've been, I was at the very last game they've ever played in Wrigley Field against Green Bay. I was at nice. the first game they ever played in a you know, regular season game uh, in Soldier Field against Pittsburgh. Wow. I literally have a That's picture. Awesome. I have a picture hanging in my office of a 1978 game where Virgil Livers is blocking a field goal against the Raiders, Errol Mann. And it's historic, and that's the very last time the Bears kicked a field goal and or blocked the field goal and returned it for a touchdown. So I, I love the history of the Bears. Wow. I, I love the history of the game. Um, I I moved up to just uh, in the, just inside enemy territory up in Wisconsin 23 and a half years ago, but I still call Chicago home. Yeah. I would love to come down to Chicago sometime and break bread with you and just sit. We could sit for hours and talk Bears history. So, I know. I know. Uh, lunch is on me. Okay. So, so uh, let's let, let's see if we can't uh, we can't do that sometime here soon before the weather gets too bad. All right. Well, that's that's awesome. Thank you. And uh, like I said, thanks, guys. Um, thanks for bringing the heat. And this was a really great conversation. I appreciate that. Yeah, You're always you. welcome. Thank you for the time. You gave us uh, a ton of time. We appreciate it. We'd love to have you on another time. Uh, again, uh, Jack Silverstein. Find him on Twitter at ReadJack. Um, just some of the best stuff on Twitter, period. But if you happen to be a Bulls and Bears fan, you're going to be kid in a candy store with it. Um, he does great work for Windy City Gridiron uh, as well, who we're great friends with uh, Lester and all of them over there. Um, so we appreciate all their work. And uh, just thanks so much for the time. We really appreciate it. This is a, a great, great uh, opportunity to talk with you. All right. Well, thanks a lot, guys. Aaron, Mike, really appreciate you guys. Thanks so much. Thanks to all the listeners of Halitech Hall. Dig it. Go Bears. Bear hey. down. All right. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, thanks so much to Jack Silverstein. Uh, what a great interview. Uh, what a great guy. What a great article. Um, just really eye-opening. Um, and, you know, what a great opportunity to – to look into history. Um, you know, this whole season has has started out that way. Uh, this summer, we went to the to the Bears 100, um, and we we started um, you know looking at history. And here we are doing a podcast that that has a great focus on history. Uh, and and what better way to honor that and to uh, delve into that than by uh, talking to Jack about his piece. Um, and I and I think it was uh, really eye opening um, and uh, great to great to hear what he had to say. Absolutely, uh, I think I've discovered a friend. Uh, we've we obviously uh, those of us in Bears Twitter that are doing these podcasts. The one thing that ties all of us together is our true unabated and unabashed passion for this team and this game of football. So. Uh, um, you know, I, I, I'm looking forward to meeting him. I, I'm going to have a great time chatting with him. Uh, like I said, we'll probably talk for as long as he can uh, let me talk, because, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, as, as we all know on this podcast, I am not shy. So yeah. uh, it's great. Uh, it was is a great visit with Jack. And 
I sincerely hope that he'll come back on our show anytime. Uh, I had brought to light a conversation that uh, that Jack had with on Twitter. Uh, it was a little tete a tete with a guy by the name of Dan Highland from the Windy City Critic, and they were going back and forth about uh, you know the business of football. And, uh, you know, I, I, Dan was a little critical of, of Jack. And uh, Dan is actually going to be our guest on Halitech Hall next week to give his side of things. So, um, you know, this is, this is bigger than just the Bears. This is NFL. This is a time in the, in the NFL's history that some business decisions were made that for lack of a better word, uh, was the, the wrong thing to do, but maybe was it the right thing to do to keep the league alive? Obviously, I can't answer that question. You can't answer that question. If our fans want to chime in on, on Twitter and let us know what they think, uh, please, by all means. It's, it's important that we look at history in this 100 years of NFL football. And that's why at Halitech Hall, we're probably the only podcast that spends so much time talking about history for the Bears in the league. Uh, it was great to see some of the other podcasts join in and get Jack on their podcast. So, uh, London, uh, how many sacks is Khalil Mack going to have? I, I put you over and under a two and a half. Uh, Aaron, this is a this is a huge game. I don't think, by any stretch of the imagination, it's a trap game for the Bears. Uh, I think they're going to be extremely focused for this game. Uh, we haven't heard anything yet about uh, uh, about Trubisky whether he's going to practice. Uh, there are some some questions out there that says. Yeah, we think he might be able to play with a harness on his left shoulder since it's his non-throwing shoulder. So, quite frankly, we don't know yet. And as we're taping this show on Wednesday, they haven't had their practice. In fact, they might be on the practice field as we're recording this show. So after the show is over, it'll be interesting to see what comes out of that. But uh, I hate to say the, the phrase on paper, but on paper – this is a game the Bears should win. Absolutely. Um, I don't think by any stretch, especially after their upset victory over the Colts, uh, that the Raiders are a, a pushover. Um, uh, but you have a, a highly motivated Bears team, a, a highly, I mean, not that Khalil Mack lacks for motivation, uh, but he has not been shy in talking about how much he wants to uh, play well and and, uh, you know, send a message to that team, uh, you know, that what a mistake they made. Um, personally, you asked how many sacks I think he's going to get. I think he's going to have one of his best games as a pro. I think he's going to get five sacks um, matching his career high. Um, I just feel like he's going to be a man possessed. And, you know, they're not going to be able to stop him. Um the the Raiders uh, certainly have they have a solid quarterback. Derek Carr is 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 excellent. I, I you know people have 
kind of he's come under fire. I mean, people talked about trading him, you know, this, that, and the other. Um, he's a great quarterback. I mean, the Bears would be lucky to have have a guy like Derek Carr. Um, you know, and the question is, does he have anybody to throw to? Um, Tyrell Williams is have has a foot problem um, that's been been uh, that's come out um, recently, so that he's questionable going to that game. Um, you know, obviously their best receiver they traded to Dallas and Amari Cooper. Uh, they've got a good tight end uh, or an emerging tight end. Uh, the the running back that they chose with uh, the pick that they got from the Bears, uh, Jacobs is uh, is is good, um, but he's a rookie. So you know, um, the Raiders are I, I would say limited, but certainly not uh, far from not dangerous. I think they are dangerous. I think they can make some plays. Um, the question is just going to be, do they have, are they going to have any time for him to throw the ball? I, I don't know. Um, they did a pretty decent job running the ball against, uh, the teams that they've played so far. Uh, obviously the Colts were without their best defensive player, Darius Leonard. Um, so you kind of make of that at what you will. Um, but that, you know, that was a huge win for them. Um, so they're coming off a big win. Uh, they're obviously excited. It's a big stage. Um, you know, so it's, I think it's going to be a good game. Um, you know, I, I think the Bears win and I think they they win in convincing fashion. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how, you know, Chase does, you know, with uh, people game planning against him. I mean, they've got now three games on tape of him playing. Obviously, the Lions game he played was pretty good. The Giants game, it had, he had some good moments and then a lot of bad moments. And then, you know, um, this last game where the first half was good, I think Nagy admitted and Chase admitted the third quarter wasn't good. And the fourth quarter, they really weren't trying to do anything but protect the lead and, and eat clock. That's exactly what they did. Um, this game is interesting to me because uh, there's other guys on this team. You know, don't forget, you know, not only did Oakland trade away Khalil Mack. They traded away Amari Cooper. Don't you wish we had Amari Cooper on this team? Yeah. Don't don't say anything more about Derek Carr because our listeners will start chiming in that we should trade for him. Uh, and since Gruden likes to trade away his good players, maybe uh, there's an opportunity there. But uh, but I, I digress. Eddie Pinheiro was yeah. traded by Oakland to the Bears. So he's got some extra motivation for this game as well. I think that uh, that you know, prior to the Minnesota game, everybody, everybody, and I mean everybody, knew that the key to that game was to make uh, Cousins beat us, and he couldn't do it. Uh, how many sacks did we end up having? Six this yeah. past weekend? I think they'll have more this weekend. Yeah. You know, I don't know. I don't know anything about Oakland's running attack, but I do know that their offensive line has been pretty damn porous mm-hmm. so far going into uh, going into this game. Uh, the Bears, for all intents and purposes, are now playing their their fourth game out of five to pretty much a national audience. Their game against Green Bay was the only game in town on opening night. Their game against Washington was on 
uh, a Monday night. So that was the only game in town. Their game against uh, Minnesota this past Sunday was broadcast to about 90% of the geographical area of the, of the United States because there was no other game worthy of, of a national audience. Uh, the only games, the only places that didn't see the, the game against Minnesota were the other three regional areas or six since there's three, three other games uh, broadcast to, to their home crowd. So now again, we're on the national stage. Every single household uh, other than regional games uh, is going to have this on their TV set. And up until this point, the Bears offense really hasn't gotten out of the gate. And I really hope that, that Nagy puts together a game plan that focuses on what they do well rather than having 38 different formations. And they struggle in the third quarter coming out after, after a decent first half. That's been their MO so far this year. They throw out all of these different formations, and they aren't, they're not focusing on what's working, which is what they promised us prior to this year. We're going to focus on what works, what works for Mitch, now what works for Chase. We haven't gotten the running game going. Uh, Kyle Long sat out last week. I don't know what his status is going to be for this game, but he's been horrid. You know, we we heard all preseason that Kyle Long was in the best shape of his career, and we're going to have we're going to have a, a great offensive line. And quite frankly, nothing has been uh, it's been a 180 degree turn. We haven't had a decent offensive line. The only thing that has hasn't happened is I can't recall one bad snap. In, when they're in the in the pistol or shotgun or spread yeah. off, whatever you want to call it, yeah. when when you know when they center the ball uh, on that little you know five yard snap from center, it, there really hasn't been much of an issue at all. Where Cody White here last year, you know we didn't know where the ball was going. So yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I think you bring up some great points. I think. Um, the offensive line was actually played pretty well in pass protection um, in against the Vikings. Uh, you know, the, Ted Larson ended up going down and Rashad Coward stepped in at guard and he'd never really played guard before. Um, and he did pretty well. Um, so, you know, when they've been pressed, I think they've come up with, you know, some decent uh, performances from the depth, which we've worried about. I mean, we saw Cornelius Lucas step in for Coward and then, Coward step in for Larson, who was playing for long. Um, so, you know, we've been worried about the depth on the offensive line. Uh, and so, so far, the depth has actually been okay, but overall, the play's been bad. Um, as far as Nagy goes, I think, you know, he's, I think he's been good given the circumstances. I think that he's been surprised at how kind of poorly the team has played um, given all the expectations. Um, I think he's adjusted pretty well. I think they have uh, cut down the formations. I would like to see them stop, you know, doing any kind of direct snaps or, you know, handoffs to Corderell Patterson. I don't think that that's something that's working. I wish they would kind of just give up on that. Um, 
you know, I think they sort of do it to sort of like put it as a plant a seed in people's minds, but it just isn't working. Um, you know, he had a, a designed run with Chase, which was very scary considering who knows who the backup quarterback was. At that point, people said it was Tariq. Some later Nagy said it was Trey Burton, actually. I mean, whatever. We didn't want to get in that situation. Um, but you got to play to your strengths. I mean, you saw the Steelers. I didn't watch much of that game, but the Steelers, you know, totally changed their game plan with Mason Rudolph in there. You know, they, they run in wildcat and he's throwing um, little, you know, dink and dunk passes. Um, I would say that that game with the Vikings has to be one of Nagy's best games as a coach, but, and Weeder and Campbell brought this up on their podcast, the bear download. This is now 12 of 20 games in which Nagy is 15 and five. Um, you know, he now has the most wins as a bears coach since Levy Smith. Um, but this is 12 of 20 games that they have not scored 20 points as net with Nagy as coach and, and offense is supposed to be his strong suit. So, uh, while his, you know, the culture, the leadership, all that stuff has been fantastic and I'm not bashing Nagy. We got to start seeing more offense. And I think with chase, actually, I think he has more, the playbook actually opens up a little more. Um, than where he kind of uh, has squeezed it down to because Mitch has just kind of been, you know, uh, flailing a little bit. So I just can't I can't put my finger on it. You know, the 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 Trubisky hype was there and it, it mm-hmm. should have been legitimate when we when we opened the season. I'm not going to go into the whole Nagy should play his starters in the preseason bit because that just isn't going to happen. Right. But this is the Bears' offense is going against during preseason the ones were going against the ones, and even guys like Khalil Mack said this this unit's going to be something because if they can move the ball on us, they should be able to move the ball on anybody. Then they haven't, and that's that's the scary part, you know. Is you know you almost get to the point where where you you always see this. You see it in basketball. You see it in football. You see it in baseball. You've got some. You have some players that excel during practice, and when the lights go on, they disappear. Conversely, you see other guys that can't do jack in practice. And they step on the field, and all of a sudden they're like the the second coming of Walter Payton. Don't 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 quote me on that, but <laughs> I think I think you get what I'm no, trying for to sure. say. Yep. Uh, so I, I don't want to I don't want to go there just yet. I want to see if Trubisky practices this week, even if it's just in a limited fashion. Uh, of course, you know I've been I, I can't access the internet that well while we're doing this broadcast because it, it dominates my iPod. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting to see what's going on because the bears did not elevate Tyler Bray to the practice squad. When they sent Abdullah down, they elevated Bradley soul again, which, you know, Lester, we talk about Lester. We're going to have Lester Wilfong from the windy city gridiron on our show here. Uh, hopefully pretty soon. But, uh, you know, he made a great point. Why did some of these winless teams with terrible defenses not claim him off waivers? Because once you put a guy, take him off your roster, 
he has to be available on waivers for 24 hours before they can re-sign that player back to their practice squad. Nobody picked him up. He played well. So what the hell are these guys thinking? Are they sleeping at the wheel? We're thankful because we're he played and he played well. And he's, you know, he could be one of those guys like, you know, Roy Robertson Harris when he first came up and he's learned his trade and he's continued to get better and better and better until they got to the point where they couldn't keep him off the field and put Bullard in. So Bullard, yeah. Bullard went by the way of the dodo. Yeah, I mean the way the, got picked up. I would say the waiver wire thing is is odd. I, I the one thing I will say is that if you if you pick up a player off of waivers, you have to put him right onto your roster. You can't you can't just move him from waivers to the practice squad. So I would say that's partially why, but also you just don't really see it that much. And I almost feel like there's a kind of a unwritten rule amongst the GMs, you know, that that's a little bit of dirty pool to to snatch guys off of waivers like that because um, you just don't see it. I mean, people were all concerned about Kareth White getting getting picked up when he was put on waivers recently, and I just didn't really think it, that anybody was going to cut somebody on their current roster to pick up a guy who, you know, you don't know him. You don't know anything about it. I mean, you know a little bit, but I don't know. You just don't really see it. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I've missed some of them, but – I feel like, you know, teams just kind of say like, hey, you know, we're not going to, you know, you don't mess with our guys. We're not going to mess with your guys. Now, I wouldn't be surprised if some of the rivals were. I wouldn't be surprised if the Packers were, to, you know, to start. But, but you know, I, I hope that that doesn't start happening because I think that that would be annoying. <laughs> you know what I mean? If all of a sudden, you know, teams were uh, – because to me there shouldn't be this – there should be almost like a, a developmental squad that you can just pull on and off of without, you know, fear for losing the players, you know, um, because this game is so violent and so, you know, uh, challenging that, you know, I mean, they, they need to be able to have a, a deeper bench than a, than a, um, the 53 man roster really provides. Uh, so uh, maybe that's why, I don't know. You're right. You do, you see you do see it happening more later in the year than right. you do see it earlier in the year. Right. Uh, you also you also see where um, you will see the Bears and other teams add players from their practice squad to the roster and release somebody that's been pretty much inactive all year. Uh, and the reason behind that is they don't want to lose that player to another team who has put in a claim. Because you can claim a player off of anybody's practice squad, but like you said, you have to immediately put them on your roster. If you, if you, I don't know the rules that we just talked about. When Abdullah was released, he was claimed, if he would have been claimed, uh, since he wasn't on the practice squad, do they have the same responsibilities to add them immediately to the roster or can they put that team that claimed them, can they put that person on their practice squad? So, so I, I don't know that rule. I'll have to learn. So, yeah, you know, it, it's, uh, you know, it, it's interesting to see the inner workings of what goes on there. Uh, 
we talked a little bit about the Bears getting, uh, you know, Colomac getting five sacks. I put the over and under at two and a half. At work, I told a guy who's a Raiders fan that without question, I said, Colomac's going to have three sacks on Sunday. And <laughs> oh, I hope, yeah. Three I, I hope that I hope yeah. that you and I are, are – I hope you're more right than I am, but uh, <laughs> I would love to see him get at least three. Uh, what was it? Pittsburgh had nine sacks Monday night against Cincinnati. I'd love to see that type of performance from the yeah. Bears this, this Sunday. I mean, but, like Khalil said, they're just warming up, and I believe him. I mean, it's – I believe him. The, the key, as always, the key to this game is making – Oakland one-dimensional. If mm-hmm. they can make Oakland one-dimensional, then you know the, the ears are pinned back and all hell breaks loose with that with that line. I don't right. care who's playing for the Bears right now because they're all just playing balls out. They're mm-hmm. they're every single player on that field on defense, no matter which eleven are out there, are truly balling. So it's it's fun to watch. Uh, I'd love to see the Bears get a two or three score lead so they can just go lights out and pin their ears back uh, against the Raiders offense this uh, this coming Sunday. Uh, next week on our show, we do have uh, kind of a point counterpoint. Uh, we had Jack on earlier today and he was absolutely a great interview and Next week, uh, from the Windy City Critic, Dan Hyland is, uh, has uh, been blessed, uh, and we're so thankful that he has decided to join us. So, another great issue, another great podcast in the books. Uh, it's it's nice to be three and one. Yep, It'll be absolutely. Better. It'll be better to be four and one. So. Yeah. Last year at this time, we were three and one heading to the bye week, and they came back and they ended up losing two straight to uh, uh, New England and Miami. So hopefully, history won't repeat itself uh, this year. So uh, I'm Mike Halitech. You're listening to Halitech Hall. We are sponsored by TickSplits.com. Uh, please remember to use promo code. Tailgate, T-A-I-L-G-A-T-E. It's all one word. It is all in caps, and you'll save 5% on any tickets uh, at our sponsor's website. And go to the website. Take a look around. They have the fastest search engine around. You don't even have to type anything to find thousands of of activities and thousands of tickets. Uh, You can find any Bears game with just one mouse click. You can find any other sporting event with maybe two or three at the most mouse clicks. So uh, you can't you can't get any better than TickSplits.com when it comes to finding the ticket. And then when you do find the ticket, you don't have to pay service fees. So our thanks to our sponsor. And I would be totally remiss if I didn't thank my co-host and producer of The Tailgate Show and Halifax Hall, Mr. Eric Tortorcello. So, Aaron... Thank you so much. It's been a great podcast, and I can't wait to talk about a Bears victory next week. Absolutely, sir. Thanks so much. Thanks to all the listeners. Please rate and review uh, and follow us on Twitter and uh, listen to the sister show, The Tailgate Show. We appreciate uh, all the support. Mm-hmm.